Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy. And, you know, Katie, something that we need to talk about that makes sense is dollars. (laughs) (laughs) You're such a dork. That's awesome. I think I think this topic is really important because a lot of people don't want to talk about money. But <laughs> you start with a dad joke and I don't know how to even go forward from there. But I think a lot of things that the people a lot of things that people really struggle with as therapists is talking about money with their clients. <laughs> I thought that would be an exciting way to start the episode as being so funny, but you can't you think you're hilarious. But it it only works if we stop laughing. (laughs) Yes, that's very true. I think uh, one of the things that therapists struggle with is setting fees, charging money. They want to just give out of the goodness of their hearts and talking about money is torturous to them. And so today we're going to talk about how to do that, how to do it effectively, how to make sure that you're doing it obviously legally and ethically because you know that's our jam, but making sure that we understand what it is to be in business and to charge people for services. I, I have told people for quite a while that I only need $1 million per hour client and <laughs> I, I will devote all of my availability and scheduling to them. And until I find that client, I need to work and I need to find the balance between what my practice is, what I charge on an hourly rate, when I offer sliding scale spots, when I raise my fees, all sorts of things. How did you get started in setting your fees to where you're at today? I I initially did what a lot of people do, and that was kind of look at what the going rate was saw what felt comfortable to me, and then I charged that, which I've come to understand really isn't the smartest way to do it. And since then, what I've done is really looked at what kind of an income do I want? What are my expenses? You know, what is my life going to look like? And then going backwards from there, identifying what I need to charge. So if this is how much I want to make, these are my expenses, these are the things that I need money for, how many clients per week do I want to see? And then do the simple division. (laughs) Does that make sense? It does. And I think that I made a different mistake that a lot of therapists do, which is 
I kind of looked at my income versus my expenses. And I'm like, well, as long as I'm not losing money, then I'm happy to charge people and I'm happy with what I do. But I was also kind of in a financial situation at that point where I can take a little bit of that risk. Mm -hmm. As, As life happens, as I've grown, as my lifestyle has changed, I've found more and more of a need for a consistent and predictable income or even exceeding that. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the ethics codes look at how we need to hold ourselves to a community standard. And we need to recognize what we're worth as an industry and not to charge beyond that unless you're offering something that's a specialty or something that you can really back up with any skills that you've developed or really made yourself head and shoulders different in a particular way. So you're saying that I should only charge kind of what the going rate is unless there's something special about me? The ethics code suggests that, that we recognize what the community standards are as far as our fees goes and that we charge accordingly. Now, this is where it's encouraged that we specialize. It's encouraged that we get further training. It's encouraged that we recognize that if we are taking on a new population, that we might not be able to charge those specialty rates in our practices until we have developed those skills. But the ethics codes do suggest that there is a community standard that we should all hover around. I disagree. I mean, I I obviously want us to make sure that we stick with the ethics codes, but I feel like that each person needs to be able to assess what their costs are, how they're building their business, how they're building their lives, and set the fees according to that. And I think the difficulty with setting a fee based on community is that oftentimes therapists charge way too little. And so if I'm as a healthy, strong clinician with even a general practice, but I do have my own specialties. But if I have to stick with the low fees that everybody around me is charging, that does not seem fair to me. When you look at community standards, and I don't know right offhand what a definition of the community would be, and as many of our listeners know, Katie and I both practice in the larger Los Angeles area, but our offices are more or less separated by about an hour and a half. Given traffic in LA, that could be four hours. But uh, (laughs) so... There might be a community of LA therapists. There might be a community based on neighborhood therapists. And one of my offices is only a few blocks, few miles from some of the extremely wealthy areas in Los Angeles, where I know that there are therapists. I know that there's psychologists and psychiatrists that are charging three, four, or five hundred dollars per session. Mm -hmm. And my fees are nowhere near that, but I'm not that far away from some of the more working class areas within the city as well, where it might not be outrageous for therapists to be charging $50, $60 a session or even less than that if it's some of the community clinics. So there really is kind of a wide swath as far as what community standards might be. I get that. And I think it's something where until all therapists are really doing a clear evaluation of the worth of therapy and the worth of living a high quality life, I think it's just too hard to stick solely to a community-based standard. I get that we shouldn't be so far off as to gouge clients, But I think that that's something that, in my experience, I mean, I guess where you've got this wealthy area where people are charging three to $500, maybe that could be considered price gouging, although I don't know that that's the case. But I think for me, my concern is that therapists are more likely to charge too little than too much. I agree. I know that a lot of the therapists in my area that I see coming into the practice tend to be charging somewhere near the same price. It might be a about a $20 to $25 difference, give or take, either way. 
And part of this really does come back to what Katie brought up at the very beginning, which is that we have a business that we're operating first and foremost. And like a lot of small business owners that, especially early on in our practice, a lot of our money goes back into the practice. We have to take care of the the bills that go along with that. And that comes with a sacrifice to the personal income that we bring along. As you hopefully move further into your career, as you're able to build on that practice, then hopefully that personal income continues to grow. But I think that we do struggle as a profession to pay ourselves, to have it to where the money doesn't cheapen the work that we do, that we have a value that comes from spending tens of, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on our education, our licensing process, and all of the things that just get us the right to being able to sit in room with clients that if we have worked in free settings or very low cost settings to then turn around in a private practice setting and to be able to charge several times more than that often can feel like you're cheapening the work or you are price gouging the clients when in fact that is what the community standard is. I think that the problem of setting a fee oftentimes is not thinking about all of those things because part of your overhead is paying off your student loans. Part of your overhead and Sally May doesn't forget where you <laughs> And, and sometimes it's personal expenses versus, you know, business expenses, but really getting a clear sense of what is it that you actually need to have your income cover? Because so often there'll be therapists who say, well, my office costs about $20 an hour because I'm renting by the hour. And so, you know, as long as I charge 25 then I'm making money, right? And it's like, oh no, oh no, dear, you're not. Like, I think it's, it's something where we oftentimes do bookkeeping and other things at the end because we're looking at, oh, well, everybody around me is charging $100 an hour, so that's what I'm gonna charge. You know, I think if we do that, we do run the risk of antitrust and setting fees, and we need to talk about that, and I know you know more about that than me, but I think it also doesn't take into account people's own needs financially, and so I think there needs to be a balance. You bring up antitrust, which I'm, this is a very complex area in the law. It's a very old law. It was really started in the Sherman Act in the late 1800s and without boring you all to tears. What it basically boils down to is that within an industry, we cannot get together to fix prices that are at the public's expense. So we can't reach out to each other and say, hey, Katie, I'm thinking of raising my fees to a session. And I would like you to join this idea of this is what we're worth. That that in and of itself is illegal. It's setting a price that we don't go below. So that way the public has to pay that kind of price for our services. With at least in our area and maybe some of the areas where there is a lot of competition for clients, it becomes very, very hard to build a large cartel that's the Sherman Act language around this, Mm -hmm. of of being able to set a floor in that. But in smaller areas where there might be only one or two therapists who provide a very needed service, this can really elevate the deception of the public. And the government has said that this is very illegal and you can't do that. You can't set a bottom price that you're not going to charge any less than. You can personally set a bottom price, but you can't do that with your colleagues. Is that right? That's correct. You can do that within a business even. I, Mm -hmm. as having a, a small group practice, I can tell my employees, you don't charge less than this dollar amount. And that's based on what the overhead of my business is. But I can't go to the therapist in the 
room next door in my building to me mm -hmm. and saying, here's our lowest fee. We're not going below this. We want you to join this cause too. That it's when those competing businesses are setting that bottom price. That's where that illegality comes in. I think that is helpful to consumers. I think it can be a little bit confusing for therapists because we're supposed to kind of look at the community and see what everybody's charging and kind of stick around that. But then we can't set prices. We can't do those things. And I think it can get really confusing for therapists because on a lot of the Facebook groups, people are like, what are you charging? What did, you know, especially when it comes to insurance, there's some other pieces there, but it's that, that kind of not banding together to affect prices that can be really hard because of course everybody's talking about their fees and how should I set my fees and that kind of stuff. And so it can, it's like, when do we cross the line? And it sounds like when we set a price below which we won't go and that kind of stuff and put it in the whole community. But I think it's also this piece of therapists can feel disempowered by not being able to come together to try to improve reimbursement rates from insurance companies or to increase the general ability to live because a lot of therapists aren't making a decent enough living to really have it be their sole profession. And so people that are undercutting everybody else, they're getting a lot of clients, but they're still not making a lot of money. And the people who are sticking to a reasonable price may not be getting the clients and sufficient income either. So I think it can feel really overwhelming for therapists to kind of navigate this fine line and also disempowering to not be able to, in some cases, quote unquote, unionize. Thrizer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thrizer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thrizer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thrizer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thrizer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thrizer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Coming together from different businesses is part of that antitrust that you can't mm -hmm. unionize across different businesses, especially in competition. But I think that the problem with therapists and money really starts even before we're practicing, that a lot of the grad school programs don't teach us about the business aspects. And you can make an argument that it's rightfully so, that that's not the focus to push everybody into a private practice or mm -hmm. a practice building type setting. But our self-selection into this profession oftentimes comes from people who are not business-minded yeah. and want to help and end up in situations where you're operating a business that just happens to be doing therapy. I find myself talking to a number of grad programs or pre-licensees that Unfortunately, the number one way to get rich as a therapist is to marry somebody who's already rich. <laughs> and it's unfortunate because by the time that somebody is ready to get into a practice, they're looking solely at what their costs are, what the minimum number of clients are that they need to have those costs. 
and it feels guilty or it feels dirty mm-hmm. to say, I want to make money in this profession. I think it's, you can feel guilty, but I think there's also a dynamic in the profession that it's looked down upon and there's a lot of haters. I can't believe somebody's charging this much and we're in this for the outcomes, not the income. Like it's, it's this martyrdom and this culture of humility that I find really disturbing because it doesn't help us when we're already wanting to be of service. We already want to to give from the goodness of our hearts, but recognize, you know, we need to make money. But to have our colleagues look down upon us when we charge a fee that we need to, to have the lifestyle that we want, it makes it even harder to overcome. And I, I often say like, we're humbling ourselves into the poorhouse, And especially when that means that you have to work extra and you're not taking care of yourself, it can often mean you're humbling yourself into the grave. And it, so this is, this is important that we as a profession overcome this. So when somebody calls you, you answer the phone, you're like, hi, I'm Katie Bernoy, and I'm charging $6,000 per session. (laughs) When would you like to come in? When do you bring up fees with people who are calling in and what kind of responses do you get with that? I have a hybrid practice. And so there's a little bit more of a navigation between it because oftentimes if people are calling and want to use insurance, then I have to to navigate that. So typically I do a little bit of a, a rapport building, you know, hi, thanks for calling. How can I help you? You know, a little bit of joining. And then I usually say, and this is something that I started doing because I would get through 30 minute phone calls and then we would get to the fee conversation and it would just fall apart. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is a very specific conflict about this. Some people say really build the rapport and then they'll pay you anything. And other people are like, I, that feels deceptive. I'm in the, the camp of, I want to make sure the logistics are going to work before I start building a relationship, before I spend time on the phone. That's not everybody's thing. But what I find is because I take insurance, I have to clarify whether or not they're going to be using insurance and I have to determine if I have capacity for it. And then I also have to then talk about fees. So I usually do a little bit of rapport building and then I ask how they found out about me. So if it's like my insurance company referred, then I know it's that conversation. They say, oh, so-and-so referred, then I have that conversation. And I usually preface it. I say, I've found over the years that oftentimes I'll talk to somebody and we'll get really connected and we want to work together and then the logistics don't work out. So I want to talk about a few logistics before we go further because I want to make sure that we're not going to get our hearts broken at the end of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so then I talk about scheduling. I talk about fee or insurance. I kind of make sure that they're going to be able to come in in the spots that I have, that they're going to be able to pay the fee or that they're on the right insurance so that it's not this mixed up thing. And for a while when I had two offices and then moved to just one, I even had to make sure that they were in the right location. So for me, I do it pretty early. And I know that there's people who are in full fee practices that say, you know, really build the relationship, build the relationship, build the relationship, and then you can kind of charge many anything. But for me, I just, it's never worked for me and it always feels kind of deceptive to me. How do you set fees? Because you're fully private pay, right? I'm fully private pay and I have been for probably the better part of six or seven years at this point. I had been on a couple of insurance panels very early on in my career, just kind of coming out of an agency that had gotten me paneled. And I found that clients that were coming to me through insurance were clients that I would have gotten anyway through marketing. And so when I finally became free of them, I went to a fully private pay practice. I still provide super bills for clients. But 
I have even considered posting my fees on my website mm, because mm-hmm. what you're talking about as far as having these intake phone calls that last 20, 30 plus minutes, I don't want to be on the phone with an intake phone call for more than like five to 10 because to me, the work needs to happen in the room. We have an ethical standard to have our clients know what the prices are for services before they engage in that contract with us. So during that first five to 10 minutes, I'm asking people, okay, very, very briefly, I want to make sure that I am skilled to handle whatever you're actually calling me about. Does the scheduling work out and does the fee work out? I want to take care of those very structural things from the very beginning. Then we can get into the clinical work later. So I guess I'm not so much in that camp of build rapport as I am into let's make sure that the structure happens before we engage in a relationship that is going to leave people disappointed. Where I have ended up in my fees is that as I've grown, as my business has become more successful, as I've become more skilled, as I've added trainings, as I've added EMDR to my practice, I have raised my fees pretty commensurately with other specialists within my community. I don't think that I'm on the high end of my community whatsoever, but I tend to look at raising my fees about every, I don't know, nine to 15 months, depending on the types of trainings that I've received during that time. I also look at when my practice is really full and the phone's ringing off the hook, that might be a time that I look at raising my fees too, is that if I'm in that much demand, if I'm referring a lot of people out who could be full fee clients for me, then I'm going to cater to a self-selecting group of people who are already calling me in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I look at my fees as I'm well past the point where I'm looking at my expenses on a per month basis as being a huge issue that the client load that I carry more than covers that. But to be able to look at how I can continue to enjoy what I'm doing and continue to be able to take care of myself in order to provide that kind of service to my clients going forward. Do you raise fees on all clients or new clients or, or how do you raise fees? Because I don't regularly raise fees. So how do you do it? I typically only raise fees on new clients that I'm kind of of the camp of, I agreed to a fee with you at the certain point in my practice. And if you're still sticking around for several years through fee raises, then I'm going to continue to honor that as long as that's where our relationship has been. There have been a couple of exceptions to this though in the past. When I first started going from the basic training to the advanced certification in EMDR, one of the issues that I ran into was that I did not have enough of the clients, a variety of clients, in order to meet the requirements for that certification process. So I really lowered my fees for EMDR sessions. And I had those clients from the very beginning sign a second informed consent that was surrounding just the parameters of that low fee service, that it was as part of my training for a new area of my practice. I'd gone down to $50 for these clients, which is significantly lower than my normal fee is. But I had put language in there that said, this fee is good for just these EMDR sessions and up to whenever I get my certification. And at that point, we will revisit fees and look at what works best for both of us. But I agree to this fee in the meantime. 
I still only have one client and I'm not certified yet, but I'm not taking anybody now at that lower fee, but I have been able to successfully work through the issues surrounding these clients coming in. But I only have one client that I'm continuing to see at that rate and it's a lot slower process, but I'm very happy that I was able to get a lot of the experiences with her. I really took it as a learning opportunity and this particular client understands that I'm learning along with her and that's why she's getting a discounted rate in order to do that. I think that's an important point. I slide my scale not for training, but for you know an exceptionally good match or longstanding clients whose financial situations change. I think it's it's something where being very conscious about the process to make sure that you're open about it so it doesn't become this is my set price, this is a sliding scale. But I have difficulty raising fees on ongoing clients as well. I think it's it's something where I do kind of subscribe to that notion that it is it's a contract that we set up. I think that if there's a client that's been around for a very long time and costs and all of the other things have changed dramatically... I think it's something where it's important to revisit it because I think there can be ways to to raise fees. But I I think that's something that's so hard to navigate. And I know that there's other therapists that do a really good job at raising fees on current clients, but that's just not something that I've taken on. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. I think that you want to leave some language in your informed consent that talks about how you might approach fee raises. Because I have seen clients who at the initial place of building their practice where their expenses might be particularly high compared to the ratio of the income that they're bringing in that agree to see clients for 20, 30, $40 a session when really their expenses for that hour in the 40, 50, $60 range. So then they become resentful of these clients that they've agreed to these super low fees on, but didn't leave themselves room within that informed consent to be able to talk about raising fees. In my informed consent, I say that occasionally I may have a discussion with you about raising my fees. I'll give you a 30-day notice on if this is ever coming up in my practice, and we can talk about it as being clinically relevant material at that time. I've never actually enforced that part of my informed consent. I've never raised fees on existing clients, but that language is in there as an opportunity to have that discussion down the road. That's smart. I think the other piece that we probably should talk about today is payment because there's a lot of different ways that people can pay. I know for myself, I accept credit cards, cash, and check. I actually at this point prefer credit cards because it's super easy within my electronic health record, but there's credit card fees and that kind of just sucks. (laughs) Yeah. It it starts to chip away when out of your session fees that that's three, four or five, six dollars a session that just goes to MasterCard or Visa or American Mm -hmm. Express or whoever Mm -hmm. it might be or if you're using any of the other intermediate clearinghouses, Square, or one of those Mm -hmm. types of systems where there's money that goes out to a lot of these different places that you're like, hey, that's part of my fee. I tend to look at that as, oh, that's a business expense. Mm -hmm. It's a convenience that I'm providing to my clients. If I have a client or a parent of a client that's like, oh, I get airline miles out of my kid needing therapy. (laughs) I'm fine with that. 
I do like that I don't have to pay fees when people pay me in cash or check, but then I have to go to the bank and that cuts into unpaid time that I'm having to go do something else. I actually prefer credit cards because of that very reason. Like I, I don't know why I hate it so much. I just really don't like going to the bank. And so the convenience is great. And I experience it as a client. My therapist doesn't accept credit cards. And I love her to death, but that is the one thing that just bugs me. I'm like, oh, I've, I've got to make sure I have checks or I have to have cash. Like, it's just such a pain. So it's it's something that I think is an important convenience, but I think the difficulty is, are the fees? And I know that there's there's laws or different things around not being able to charge a service charge or it's kind of, it's in a sticky area. But I was actually looking at it was there was a conversation in a Facebook group, like, do you charge a service fee or not? And people were talking about the laws in different states. But what it comes down to, I think, in a lot of places is you can, you can't charge a service charge, but you can give a cash discount, which I feel like is just a game playing. But, but regardless, I've never done that. Have you done that? Have you done like a cash discount or a check discount? I haven't. And I really have a problem with either of these because going back to what I said earlier, we have a ethical standard that clients need to know what they're paying from the outset of therapy. And that becomes an issue when one session might be $100 or $103.6 because that's what your credit card fee might be. But if you pay in cash next week, it's only going to be $96.70. So it really becomes kind of this amorphous thing. I would rather it be just kind of a very set thing that my clients know is coming up. And I would ever approach it as like, hey, we've got our 30-day notice. Let's work around that. Let's have that conversation as business expenses go up or whatever that might be. I've not thought about it, I think, as strategically as others because my caseload has remained pretty small as my consulting practice has grown. I've certainly thought about it as a, a cost of doing business in my consulting practice because it's primarily credit cards and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's something where it, it goes into my overhead calculations. But as a therapist, because there's that weird like setting fees based on community and you know, there's that combination of kind of thinking about things from all different angles, I've not consciously said, oh, let me figure out you know, how much more I should add you know, given the ratio of people who are going to probably use credit cards versus not. But I do agree that a set fee feels a lot better than trying to do some weird service charge or discount. And what I like too about credit cards is that I never have to worry about a check bouncing. I mm-hmm. never have to worry about chasing down a client that owes me money, that I keep credit cards on record as often mm-hmm. as possible. I'm getting paid in time, in almost real time for my session. Sometimes it takes a day for that money to mm-hmm. hit my account, but I don't have to worry about a client then coming up being like, have you cashed my check yet? I really need to <laughs> cash a check or don't cash that check until I get paid next week. Yeah. That it takes a lot of that guessing check out. One thing I do want to say is that when clients do pay cash, we also need to ethically and legally put that cash into the bank account. So that way yes. that keeps us part of the legal and ethical part of our business. Uncle Sam wants his cut no matter <laughs> what. But one thing that I am really considering as maybe a very, very small part of my practice is I'm considering even offering clients the ability to pay in Bitcoin. Oh my gosh, that is so ridiculous. <laughs> Why would you do that, Kurt? 
it's the 21st century. Why, why not? If this is something that a client approached me with, and I probably would not turn my entire practice to Bitcoin at this point. I think that would be too volatile, especially it, like it just took, it just tanked, Kurt. <laughs> we're not going to turn this into a, whether or not you should invest in Bitcoin. I currently <laughs> don't. Uh, but, but you're talking about taking it in your practice. So you would be then. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. If you really get down to offering confidentiality to clients, this is a great way to offer them even one further step of confidentiality. <laughs> but really our absolute ethical standard, our absolute legal standard on this is that we come to an agreement on what payments are at the outset of therapy. And if somebody wanted to come to me and said, I want to pay you in Bitcoin, I want to pay you your fees worth of Bitcoin each session, or if I'm really eager about it, I want to pay you one one hundredth of a Bitcoin every session. If I know the volatility of the cryptocurrency markets and recognize that one session that might be $7, the next session that might be $6,000. If both the client and I understand what that is, I don't see that there's a whole lot of problem with that, especially if we're given the option of, okay, you don't have to pay in Bitcoin. This is just an option that I'm giving you. I feel like it sets up a dual relationship where all of a sudden you and your client are kind of playing the market because you don't know what the consistent rate is. And so there's this additional stressor around money because for the session that you get paid $7, you could get better about that. For the session that it's $6,000, your client could get better about that. I think it's this piece of really, it adds a different emotionality to it that I don't think is good to foster within the relationship. So I feel like it, it sets up a weird dual relationship. And again, I wouldn't get into this with anybody who didn't understand those risks from the outset. And at worst, I could see this as being some sort of bartering type system, but there's nothing about our profession that says that we have to accept the currency of the country that we're in. If I wanted to charge euros to clients or provide that as an opportunity, you know, I've got a trip coming up to Europe. I don't have to tell my clients this, but if all of a sudden I'm like, hey, if you want to pay in euros, I'm open to that. That's an accepted currency. If that saves me a personal end of having to go to the bank and exchange my money, and if somebody's willing to give me euros, then I don't think that anybody would see a problem with that. And that's a fluctuating market too, just not as volatile as a cryptocurrency. I understand what you're saying. And I appreciate the desire to be both modern and flexible, but I think it adds complication that I think doesn't belong in the therapy room. I don't think that just because something's a bad idea, that it's something that should necessarily be banned. As I was kind of reviewing the ethics codes and preparing for this discussion, there's a very weird quirk in some of the codes. We don't do things like this until the professional community adopts this regularly. Mm. Now, the problem with that kind of wording is that that leaves no wiggle room for people to try things out. Until we're all doing this, nobody can do this. And I think that that's <laughs> part of a ridiculous code. I think I think the code's ridiculous, but that doesn't change my uh, opinion that accepting Bitcoin is also ridiculous. We'll see. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know that I have any clients that are clamoring to pay me in Bitcoins. And I think that people who are involved in that kind of market are not doing it to pay for goods and services at this point. I think that this is really more of kind of a thought-provoking discussion as far <laughs> than something that's actually practical at this point. I think the people who are invested there are 
doing so on speculation and the opportunity to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But had somebody approach me with it, I might try it on a very short-term basis, four to six sessions, just to see what might come up around it. Well, if you'd like to take that risk, I'm not going to stop you, Kurt, but I think it actually accentuates our conversation and we do have to wrap up, but it accentuates our conversation around money. What we're willing to accept, how we have those conversations with our clients and making sure that we feel comfortable with what we're accepting, whether it's credit cards, Bitcoin, cash, a sliding fee, insurance. Like We have to make sure that we really understand the parameters around it and identify what we need, what we're comfortable with, and, and communicate it clearly with our clients. Please check out our show notes on mtsgpodcast.com and join us on our social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. While you're visiting our website, you can also check out our conferences and workshops. We have a couple of live events coming up in Los Angeles here in the coming months of 2018. In May, we have a six CEU law and ethics course on the personal branding of you. This is crafting a legal and ethical advertising branding practice that is consistent with the law. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months.